don't know if you all have been uh, keeping track of this, but uh, it's been about three years since we first met. It's gone by pretty quick, hasn't it? I uh, think it's gone pretty good so far. You all haven't run us out of town yet, and we're not itching to leave, so I guess things are going pretty well. So I guess it would be a happy third friendiversary, right? Yeah. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, 21 to 26 is where we're going to be. We're uh, in an odd, odd portion of Scripture here where we're in kind of a series within a series. Uh, Jesus has just got done uh, telling the, the disciples and the crowd that uh, if they're going to get into the kingdom of heaven, their righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, and they're in a state of despair at this point. Uh, the next several sections deal with just what that righteousness looks like, and, and I didn't mean this to all end up starting with ours, but uh, righteousness requires reconciled relationships. That's our mini-series that we are in, in, in this particular section. Righteousness requires reconciled relationships. Now, the title for today's message is just resolve your anger before you worship. Nothing real snappy or catchy there. Uh, resolve your anger before you worship. Uh, so look in uh, verse 21, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Let's read down to verse 26. It says, You have heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Rekha uh, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first, and be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary in, uh, I'm sorry, agree with thine adversary quickly while thou, thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be uh, cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the very, the, I'm sorry, paid the uttermost farthing. Now, we're back in the Sermon on the Mount this morning. He's teaching uh, that there is much more to the law than just the letter of the law. Jesus is expanding and confirming that it's what happens in the heart that determines whether a sin has taken place. And when we allow anger to enter into our lives, it affects our relationships. Very simple. Anger affects our relationships. It affects our relationship with other people. It affects our relationship with God. Remember that these relationships are what Jesus' new commandments teach us. They're, they're, they're what they're all about. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. Anger gets in the way of these. Anger affects every relationship with everyone. You know, the laws of God are not, they're not novel. They're not, uh, they're not upstart uh, laws. They were delivered to them a very long time ago. They are, they are ancient laws, but they are never antiquated laws. They are never obsolete because they come from God. 
Now, what Jesus is doing in this section, he is taking six important Old Testament laws, and he is interpreting them for the people in light of the kingdom life, in light of the new life that he has given them or will give them if they trust, them, if they trust him for salvation. Right? He, he made a fundamental change without altering God's standards. He deals with the the attitudes, with the intents of the heart, and not just the externals, okay, not not just the outside actions. The Pharisees said that righteousness consists of of, of performing certain actions. You do this list of things, and you'll be fine. But Jesus said that it centers on the attitudes of the heart and your mind. It's what comes out of somebody that defiles them. Christ, having laid down these principles that Moses and the prophets were to be their rulers, but but that the scribes and Pharisees were no longer to be their rulers, he proceeds to expound the law, and and these examples that he gives paints paints for the people, the disciples and and the people standing around, sitting around, listening to him preach, uh, gives them, what does it look like? If I'm going to keep the law of God, the way Jesus says I should keep the law of God, what does that look like? How does it work? How does it play out in my life? Now, the Pharisees had a list of external actions that were sinful, but Jesus explained that sin, again, sin comes from the heart and mind. You can keep everything externally and still be just a vile and rotten a sinner as you ever were. Anger is murder in the heart. Lust is adultery in the heart. You know, the person who says that, that, that they want to live by the Sermon on the Mount, you know, you get into this a little bit, you realize that, that, that living by the Sermon on the Mount is actually deeper, um, harder, more difficult than living by the Ten Commandments. So, so let's look at this one verse at a time. Verse 21. This is the law limited. Right? This, is, this is the way they had been taught. You have heard that it has been said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. This is what they had heard. This is, this is what they had been being taught for, for several hundred years now. Now, in verse 20, Jesus had just told the crowd there on the hillside that their righteousness had to be better than the religious leaders of the day. Then he said that, that really, basically, you guys, you guys know the law. You know that it's been said that you're not supposed to murder anyone. And the Pharisees and the scribes would puck out their chests and proudly proclaimed that they had never taken anybody's life. They were in conformity to the letter of the law, but they could not grasp the spirit of the law. Back in verse 17, Jesus had told them that uh, that, 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 that he had not come to abolish the law, but that he had come to fulfill it, and he had come so that we would understand the spirit as well as the letter so that we would fully comprehend and then be able to fully obey now there's a an example of this the way the pharisees would live clarence darrow was a a famed criminal lawyer uh, from way back and 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 he he had this joke he says everyone is a potential murderer and i have not killed anyone but I frequently get satisfaction from reading the obituaries. That that was the attitude of the scribes and and the Pharisees. 
They taught that you should not murder. They never gave any thought to what happens in the heart. They taught, no, you should not take somebody's life, but they never, never thought anything about character assassination. Jesus says that there is more to this than just not killing someone. He said, you've been told that if you murder, then you'll be judged for this. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you, there's more to it. You're not off the hook that easily. To us, it seems plain as day that the Lord's one object is, is to contrast the, the traditional perversions of the law by the corrupt teachers with this new sense that he himself is, is expounding and explaining. This commandment was reduced when it was first given as, as, as a holy law of a heart-searching God to just a mere criminal statute, really only concerned with what happens on the outside. This is all they had to say about it, that willful murderers were liable to, to the sword of justice, and then the casual murderers, you know, ones that you really didn't mean to, but, but, but you killed somebody, then, well, you had to deal with a city of refuge. Uh, now, this, this, this polishing over of theirs on this commandment, it was, it was faulty, it was an error, it was, it was wrong because it led them to believe that the law, the sixth commandment here, was only external. That it didn't deal with your heart and mind. It didn't deal with your thoughts and, 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 and with your intentions. They thought that this law that came from God, was it, that it only dealt with the sinful act and not the sinful thought. But we who know Jesus know better than that. Now look at verse 22. We've, we've seen the one part, but let's, let's look at the law properly applied here. Jesus said, verse 21, all right, you've been taught this, and it's been wrong, but this is what you've been taught now. But I say unto you, so now I'm going to give you, Jesus says, what this really means. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Rekha shall be in danger of, count of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Notice the authoritative tone that Jesus, uh, remember, he, he himself is the lawgiver and the judge. And now, now Christ gives the true sense. He explains the deep meaning. He explains the spirit of this commandment. It's as if he's saying, I, I say to you, I know, I know what you've heard. I know what you've been taught. I know what these guys have told you. But I say that if you're angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. And if you call somebody an idiot, which is what Reka means, we'll get to that in a little bit, then you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you'll be in danger of the fires of hell. Now, all three of those clearly, divine, clearly refer to divine retribution. Those aren't three separate things. They're really just kind of lumping up that you will be judged by God for this because of the breaches of this command. And even though it, it's, ex, it's expressed by the illusion of the tribunal, you know, the Jewish tr tribunals, it really means that, that, no, God is going to judge you for these actions. And when it says brother here, we have to understand that, that it is anybody we are angry with. All right? We can't say, well, he's not my brother, so it's okay to be angry. He's, he's not related to me. He's not a Christian, so it's okay if I'm angry at him. No, this includes everyone that we might be angry with. Remember that old rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? What a lie, right? Yeah, that is, yeah. 
Jesus is saying that uh, not only will murder obviously harm people, but that our thoughts, our words harm people. If you call someone an idiot or curse at them, then you're guilty of sin and you are no different than a murderer. The Pharisees taught that murder only consists of taking somebody's life, but the Lord said that the commandment extends not only to the act, the outward act itself, but also to the internal attitude behind the act. You know, every age through history, every country, every, every people group, has its modes of expressing these, these, these things. And no doubt our Lord just kind of seized upon the current phraseology of, of, of unholy disrespect and contempt. So as to express condemnation uh, really in any, any language, the, the, the different degrees can be felt in every culture. Every culture has words like this that do the same thing. You say, well, wait a minute there, Pastor. I'm, uh, I mean, when I'm angry at somebody, I mean, when I'm mad at somebody, I mean, I'm as bad as a murderer. Is that what you're saying, Pastor? You're saying that, that, that when I get mad at somebody, it's as if I have murdered them? That's not what I'm saying. That's what Jesus is saying. All right? Take me completely out of the picture. Jesus still says exactly what he says. When we impugn people's character with name-calling, with slanderous remarks, when we publicly ridicule and make fun of them or call them stupid or dumb or empty-headed, we are doing irreparable damage to that person. See, Jesus does not say that anger leads to murder. He says that anger is murder. Jesus is talking about an unholy anger against a person aimed at a particular person the word used in Matthew 22 means a settled anger it's a malice that is nursed inwardly which means it's in there and it begins to fester and grow and get infected and swell to hate someone is to commit murder in our hearts 1 John 3:15 says and furthermore, becoming angry and assuming a position of superiority over another person and calling him or her derogatory names demonstrates your sinful behavior. Now, now this word reka, it's kind of a hard word to, to nail down, but basically it's, it's contempt for the way a person thinks. It's contempt for what's in their head. It's a scornful word. It comes from pride. It's basically saying, you're brainless. What are you thinking? That's reka. Thou fool is, it's, it's, it's spite-filled, and, and it's contempt for their character. Right? It's, it's an attack on, on, on who they are as a person. That they're not worthy of your respect. They're not worthy to be honored. But they're so vile that they don't deserve your love. It's calling them wicked. You reprobate. Those are strong words. One commentary says the former speaks about a man without sense. This speaks about a man without grace. 
The more the reproach touches his spiritual condition, the worse it is. The former is a haughty taunting of our brother. This is a malicious censoring and condemning of him as if he's abandoned by God. As if we could make that judgment. And Proverbs 18.21 says that, uh, that our tongue can bring life or death. By our tongue, we might as well have cut their throat, really. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in, uh, he's a German theologian from years ago. He wrote a book, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, the angry word is a blow struck at our brother, a stab at his heart. It seeks to hit, to hurt, and to destroy. And that's what this anger is. You are so mad at somebody, you want to see them in pain. You want them to suffer. And you say what you say to get them to suffer because you, you, you want to see them hurt. You want to see them squirm. You want them to pay. Another commentary says, when it exceeds due bounds, when we are hardy and headstrong in our anger, violent and vehement, outrageous and mischievous, and when we seek the hurt of those we are displeased at. Another one says, but when it proceeds from anger and malice within, it is the smoke of that fire which is kindled from hell and falls under the same character. Some of us, some of us are so angry. Some of us are so angry at ourselves. We're angry at, at our spouse. We're angry at, at our kids, at our mother. We're angry at our father. We're, we're, we're angry at other people in, in this church. And, and, and you're angry at God for what he has done to you without asking your permission first or explaining himself. And that anger has sat in you and it has festered and it has grown and you want to see somebody hurt. Anybody at this point, you want to see them hurt. And that anger has turned to hatred. And that hatred has turned to murder. And when it does that, you are guilty. Jesus says the motivations of the heart are more important than any appearance. When our motive is to hurt, to destroy, to exclude, then we share the same motive as someone who takes someone's life. When we are, are angry with someone, then, then our relationship with that person is damaged. It's a direct conflict to the commands of Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves. And when we harbor anger and ill will in our hearts, we can't possibly fulfill the command to be loving. Not with that much anger and hatred and murderous spirit. That's what Jesus says. Thou shalt not kill really means. We see in verses 23 and 24 the way that this is to be properly lived out. He's told us what it's not. He's told us what it is. Now he's going to tell us what it looks like. Right? 
Verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then, and then come and offer thy gift. See, it says, therefore, right, this is what it looks like. When people uh, would, would, would come to the temple to worship, they would bring an animal for sacrifice, uh, you know, on, on the altar. It would be their, 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 their act of worship to God. But Jesus was saying that until you get yourself in a right relationship with those that, that you are angry with or that are angry with you, until that relationship is reconciled, you can't worship. You shouldn't try to worship. See, Judaism expressed reconciliation between individuals. And God, God would not accept an outward offering if, if you'd have pressed or mistreated your neighbor, if you uh, didn't make it right. And the Old Testament, God accepted only sacrifices that were offered with a pure heart towards him and a pure heart towards one's neighbor. And if your heart wasn't pure towards God or heart wasn't pure towards your neighbor, God did not want your sacrifice. When it says there in the verse, hath something against thee. Meaning that if you have wronged someone. Now the meaning is not that, well, you know, if you've wronged someone, just kind of dismiss it, you know, and don't worry about it right now. No, it doesn't mean that. It means get your brother, get the person that you've wronged, get him in his mind to dismiss this grudge against you. Those who have wronged us, we must forgive. Those whom we have wronged, we must make satisfaction to. We must try to reconcile or at least make the effort as far as we can take it. Uh, there's got to be a desire to, to renew the friendship so that if reconciliation cannot be made, it's not our fault. We've done everything we can do. Our heart is clean before God. But until you've done everything you can do, you haven't done enough. Reconciliation between has to be accomplished whether the innocent or the offending brother takes the first step. Whether you're the one that did the wrong or you're the wrong, wrong the one was done to, it doesn't matter. Somebody's got to take the first step. And without this reconciliation, gifts presented at the altar mean nothing. Your worship means nothing. Matter of fact, you come, you have anger in your heart, you need to reconcile with somebody, and you don't do it. Whatever you do here on this morning, it's not worship. God doesn't want it. He's not happy with it. Until it's done, you're utterly unfit for fellowship with God, is what Scripture says. Now, I, I, I used to think this only applied to uh, the Lord's Supper, Communion. That you shouldn't take communion until you resolve any conflicts that you had with anybody else. And, and while that absolutely has an application here, that's not what Jesus is saying here. If you're in conflict with someone, then, then, then don't expect that God is going to accept your worship until you have tried to resolve that conflict. God needs your heart clean. 
We can't worship God if our heart uh, has, 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 has conflicts with other people. God wants all of us completely. He wants all that we are when we come to him for worship. And we can't do that when, when there's conflict between us and somebody else. And these conflicts put us out of the will of God. When we have unresolved conflicts, we, we bring them to church with us. You think you leave them at the door, you think you leave them at home, you don't. You bring them with you. And our worship becomes divided because our hearts are not right. I want you to turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. It's going to be Psalms, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Then you're going to find Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. Find verse 11. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, verse 15, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings uh, from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Now that God in Isaiah 1 is the same God in Matthew chapter 5. His attitude about this has not changed. Our worship needs to be pure, and God does not want angry, murderous worship. That's, that's oxymoronic. Anger and un, un, unresolved issues uh, keep us out of fellowship with God. It keeps us out of fellowship with each other. And Jesus says that we are to resolve our issues, then we worship. Resolve the issues, then we are ready to approach God with a clean heart. Matthew Henry says this. It is at this solemn moment when about to cast himself upon divine mercy and, 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 and seek in his offering a seal of divine forgiveness, that the offerer is supposed all at once to remember that some brother has, has a just cause of complaint against him through a breach of this commandment in one or other of the ways just indicated, what then is he to say, as soon as I offered this gift, I will go straight to my brother and make it up with him? He says, nay. In other words, no. But before another step is taken, even before the offering is presented, this reconciliation is to be sought, though the gift have to be left unoffered before the altar. Now this tells us 
reconciliation is a prerequisite to proper worship. Religious exercise is not acceptable to God if they're performed when we are, are harboring wrath or, 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 or envy or malice or, or for unloving. These sins so displease God that nothing pleases him which comes from a heart where these things dominate. If we go on in Isaiah to chapter 58 and verse 4, we learn that prayers made in wrath are written in gall. Now, even though we're unfit for fellowship with God by this conflict that's not reserved, that's, that's no excuse for, for the omission, for, for the, the, the neglect of our duty. It says, well, well I can't, I'm not right with so-and-so, so I can't go to church. No, no, we're, we, we still must worship. We still must obey God, gather together and worship, which means we must first reconcile. And we don't get off the hook. See, many people want to give this as a reason why they don't come to church anymore because, well, so-and-so's mad at me or I'm mad at somebody else. Well, well, whose fault is that that it's still going on? Get it fixed. Okay? Get it fixed so that you can come to church free of that bondage. Now, now look, God, God means to force this issue. Right? He, he means to put you in a position where you cannot allow it to fester and still think you're, you're, you're worshiping him. God demands that you worship him. And God demands that you be right with others first, which means God demands that you reconcile the issue. Another commentary says it this way. Go and be reconciled to thy brother. Be just to him. Be friendly with him, because while the quarrel continues, as thou art unfit to bring thy gift to the altar, unfit to come to the table of the Lord, so art thou unfit to die. If thou persist in this sin, there is danger, lest thou be suddenly snatched away by the wrath of God, whose judgment thou canst not escape nor accept against. And if that iniquity be laid to thy charge, thou art undone forever. See, the old commentators took this very seriously. They, they understood what this scripture meant. Another one says, from all that is uh, here inferred, that we ought to carefully preserve our love and peace with our brethren, and that if at any time a breach happens, we should labor for a reconciliation by confessing our faults humbling ourselves to our brother, begging his pardon and making restitution or offering satisfaction for the wrong done in the word or deed according as the nature of the thing is and that we should do this quickly. You know, the, the inverse of this is taught in Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, where Jesus says, and when ye stand praying in the very act of of praying, forgive. And if you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive you. See, this, this was one of the beautiful practices of the early church uh, to see that 
all differences between all brothers and sisters in Christ were settled and settled quickly and settled in love. It's been said that the person who refuses to forgive his brother destroys the very bridge over which he must walk. You cannot walk the bridge to worship unless it's built from the materials of forgiveness and reconciliation. Has this been a fun message or what? Let's conclude this. We're going to use verse 25 and 26 as the conclusion. Verse 25 says, Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with them, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Don't let your anger or conflicts linger. Take care of them. When we let the issues hang around, we, 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 we never know what is going to happen. Has, so, so has anger caused you to have strained relationships with someone? Is anger in the way of you having a life of loving relationships with other believers? Is anger an unresolved conflict interfering with your worship? Well, no, I can be angry in worship. No, you can't. If you are angry with someone, it is interfering with your worship. Let me have uh, Matthew Henry explain this. In expounding the sixth commandment, he says, I have spoken of offenses between man and man, reminding you that the offender has another party to deal with besides him whom he has wronged on earth and assuring you that all worship offered to the searcher of hearts by one who knows that a brother has just cause of complaint against him and yet takes no step to remove it is vain. But I cannot pass from this subject, he says, without reminding you of the one whose cause of complaint against you is far more deadly than any that man can have against man. And since with that adversary you are already on the way to judgment, it will be your wisdom to make up the quarrel without delay, lest a sentence of condemnation be pronounced upon you, and then will execution straightway follow, from the effects of which you shall never escape, as long as any remnant of the offense remains unexpiated. Long-term anger, hatred, murder cannot exist in a believer. So if it exists in you, you are not a believer. You're on your way to judgment. But at least at this point, you have time to agree with God about your sin, and you have time to repent of your sin allowing Jesus to make things right between you and the judge. Another commentary says, For all judgment is committed to the Son. He that is rejected as Savior cannot be escaped as judge. 
uh, this morning. If you do not have Jesus as your Savior, you can leave all your sins, all your anger, all your hatred, all your murders. You can leave those at the foot of the cross. And you can leave clean. And you can leave at peace with a holy God that you do not want as an enemy. Repent of your sins as Jesus teaches. And by faith in him, you will be saved from your sins and from the penalty of your sins. And if you have Jesus as your Savior, then let him examine your heart. Have you been angry? Are you angry? Are you, are you hate-filled? Then Jesus says that you've murdered. You're guilty. Please seek the one out that you have wronged and ask forgiveness. Please seek the one out that has wronged you and offer forgiveness. Then you will be free to worship, but not until then. Now, you know that, that in, in our flesh, in our humanity, this is not possible. But if you will allow the love that Jesus has for you to manifest itself within you and through you, then this love and this reconciliation is not only possible, it's executable. Allow the love of Christ to constrain you to such a point that you cannot not reconcile with the brother or sister that you've carried so much anger over for so long. Get that relationship fixed. So that God can enjoy your worship. It's really your only choice. God doesn't give you a choice of to stay angry and not worship. You've got one play here. Get right with the people so you can get right with God. That's your only play. So what are you going to do? Stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Father, we thank you for this portion of your scripture. Lord, it has not been easy But, Lord, you, you desire us to be love-filled people. You desire us to be love-showing people. And your word has made it clear we cannot be that. We cannot do that if we are harboring anger, hatred, malice towards anyone. So may your spirit examine our hearts and minds. Lay them open, Lord. Fillet us open with your word. Let nothing be hid. And that if work needs to be done, Father, give us the courage to do it. And I pray, Father, for anyone here this morning that does not know Jesus as Savior, that, Lord, they will seek reconciliation with you through him first and foremost, that they will throw themselves at the foot of the cross, begging Jesus to save them and, for, and, 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 and to wash their sins away. And, and Father, your word says that, that if they do that, he will. 
and they can be at peace with you. Father, those of us who are believers, help us not to play games. Help us not to fool ourselves into thinking we're okay. But expose our sin to us that we may repent and that we may love as you want us to love. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Keith, would you come?